If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37? If you're like me, you've kind of been waiting a while so we could get to this chapter. If you know the chapter, it's about the Valley of Dry Bones, and it is a powerful chapter, and we pray that God will speak to our hearts tonight. But um, it's only three days after Easter, so let's see if we remember what to say on Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's still risen, isn't he? He still is. And he is ruling and reigning, and uh, one of these days he'll be coming back. And we look forward to that. Well, have you ever had a dry time spiritually in your life? Probably if you've been a Christian for very long, you have. I've had uh, dry times in my life uh, before I became a pastor and afterwards as well. Uh, It doesn't matter uh, who you are or how long you've been saved. It can happen to you. For no apparent reason, sometimes it just seems that it's just spiritually dry for you. Ezekiel, in a vision, is taken to a valley of dry bones. And there he saw some things that he never thought he'd see. And we're going to read about that here in this passage tonight. But I'm grateful that uh, when God brings revival, when God brings renewal, He starts with a valley of dry bones. So many times over the years when I was a pastor and would invite someone to come in and uh, hold a revival for us, a lot of times during one of those sessions, uh, the preacher would use this passage to talk about the need for revival and how God brings revival. And certainly uh, you can see that in these passages and these verses how God works and what he does and the need of the people of God to be revived from time to time. We would like to think that we live in revival all the time, but the the honest truth is that uh, a lot of times we're between a mountain and a valley, and uh, we're sometimes high and sometimes low, probably most of the time somewhere in the middle. But in order for us tonight to hear the word of God, I pray that he'll open our ears that we might be able to hear what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is saying to the people of God. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to read starting at verse 1 down through verse 3 and then verse 11, and we'll park there for a little while and talk about that. Verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, And brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sat me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, Can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that your word would penetrate our hearts tonight, 
We thank you, Lord, that you specialize in meeting us where we are. And Lord, it's a joy after having such a glorious Easter weekend to continue to bask in that glow of the resurrection of our Lord, his death on the cross that we remembered last Friday and his burial and his glorious resurrection this past Sunday. So Lord, we thank you for all of that and we just are grateful to be here together again tonight. Thank you for everyone who's able to be here. We know there are others who would like to be here, but for whatever reason are not with us tonight. But we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts. I pray your anointing on the message you've given me to bring. Lord, fill me with your spirit, with your grace, and with your love. And we pray all of this now in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Point number one there in your outline is this, the condition of the people. God brought Ezekiel to this special place. We don't know where it was. It was in a vision, and it was a valley. It was a valley of dry bones. Now, what was unusual about that was that God brought this priest who was not supposed to touch a dead body or a dead bone. He brings this priest who is also a prophet to this valley of dry bones. And he's got a purpose for doing that. He wants Ezekiel to hear this message that he has for these bones, to deliver this message that he has for these bones, and also to see the result of the Word of God as it goes forth out of the mouth of his prophet. So what was the condition of the people? They tell it to us, God does, in verse 11. He says, this, these bones, this valley that's comprised of these dry bones, these bones are the people of Israel. Look again at verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Now, when God said this is the whole house of Israel, he meant both of the kingdoms, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The kingdom uh, had been divided for over 350 years. There had been the northern kingdom, sometimes known as Israel, sometimes known as Ephraim. Then the southern kingdom it was always known as Judah. The northern kingdom had been dispersed among peoples uh, many years before that, about 150 years before we're in Ezekiel here. The, uh, the Assyrians had come and invaded Samaria. They'd carried off people to all different parts of the world. And Assyria, as they knew it, had never come back and would never come back until much later on, when we'll see here in the Scripture this time and next time. But then there was the people of Judah and Jerusalem that comprised the southern kingdom. They're the ones that Ezekiel is preaching to. They're the ones who are in exile in Babylon. But these bones represent not just the people of, who are exiled in Babylon, but all of the house of Israel, the northern and the southern kingdom. And here's what they're saying. They're saying they, that indeed our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Now, last Wednesday night, we looked at Psalm 137, which was a psalm that was set during the time of the Babylonian captivity. That is, the, Bab the Babylonian people said to the Jews, sing us the songs of Zion. 
And they said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in this strange land? And it began by saying, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. So this was the the people of God who were weeping because they had lost all the things that they were familiar with. They had lost their city, they had lost their temple, they had lost their Uh, They'd lost their kingdom. They had lost their temple, their king. They had lost their families. Many of them had. They had lost their home. So they were lost. They were undone. They were taken to Babylon, and they did not know what to do. They didn't know how long they were going to be there, and they did not know how the Babylonians were going to treat them. They just were lost. They said, our bones are dry. Our hope is gone. They have no hope of the future, and we are in a terrible shape. We ourselves are cut off. God brought Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones, and he says here in verse 1 of chapter 37, he set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. So not only does God set Ezekiel down in this valley, he says, Ezekiel, I want you to walk through this valley. So here's old Ezekiel, and as I said, he is a prophet, but he's also a priest of the tribe of Levi. So a priest had certain regulations that other people didn't have, and that was he was never supposed to touch a dead body. Or a, de- or a bone. So if he did, that would make him ceremonially unclean for a while. So he did not want to touch any of these bones. But God said, and he's in a vision now, but God said, I want you to go among the bones. I want you to walk this valley. And so here's Ezekiel, the man of God, the prophet of God, walking among death. He is walking here in this valley, and there's bones all around. He's probably ankle deep, maybe knee deep in bones. And they're just everywhere. And there's hundreds of them, perhaps thousands of bones. And these bones are not just dry. They are very dry. In other words, they've been there for a long time. These bones had not been there, put there just recently. They'd been there for a long time. And so he is observing this valley of dry bones. And then he hears God ask him this question. Verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now Ezekiel is God's man. He is God's prophet. And he is the spokesman for God among the people. But God asks him a question. It's not like God doesn't know the answer. Anytime God asks anybody a question, he already knows the answer. But he's asking Ezekiel to show some faith. He's asking Ezekiel to think about this question. Look at these bones, Ezekiel. They've obviously been here a long time. Can these bones live? That's a good question for anyone who may be in a dry spell spiritually in their life. Can they get back to where they used to be 
and go beyond. If they're spiritually dry, if they feel, even though they're a Christian, even though they might feel spiritually numb or even spiritually dead, even though they're saved, is there any hope for that person? Can they discover and can they realize that freshness of their walk with God again? Can these bones live? That is God's question for Ezekiel, and that is God's question for you and me tonight. So Ezekiel doesn't really know how to answer the question. And so he kind of hedges a little bit. and He says, basically, I don't have a clue. But he hedges it a little bit and he says, Oh Lord, you know. I don't know, but you know. You've asked me the question and you are the one who knows. It's comforting to me, and it ought to be to all of us, to know that we serve a God who knows. He doesn't have to figure something out. He doesn't have to study on it. He doesn't have to go to school. (laughs) He, He just knows because he's God. And so Ezekiel says, Lord, I don't know. Only you know the answer to that question. So when you go to God and ask him a question, realize before you ask him that he knows. Now, he may tell you the answer to the question right then, or he may not. Or he may refer you to a scripture. He may refer you to a counselor or to a pastor or to uh, another believer. If you got a question for God, I've learned over the years, God can take it. He's not intimidated by anybody's question. But sometimes we can be intimidated by his questions, right? I think I've told you a story about an old man that was in uh, the first church, actually the second church that I pastored up in uh, Covington, Tennessee. His name was Raymond Smith. Brother Raymond Smith, he was a character. He was a wonderful man. He was born in the year 1900, and I was pastor up there from 1980 to 1983. So Mr. Raymond always knew how old he was because of whatever year it was, that was how old he was. So one time I was talking to Mr. Raymond and I said, Mr. Raymond, when you get to heaven, you think you'll have a question for God? And if so, what do you think you might want to ask God? He had a great sense of humor. He just chuckled. He said, I don't know about that. But I believe God's going to have some questions he wants to ask me. (laughs) Well, God asked Ezekiel this question. Can these bones live? The condition of the people was they were those dead bones. They were those bones that were in that valley. God said, this is the entire, the whole nation of Israel. They are lost. They are dead. They are undone. They have no hope. Is there any hope for these dead bones? Can these bones live? That's the condition of the people. Secondly, think with me about the command to preach. The command to preach. Look with me now at verses 4 through 6. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. 
I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Here is God's command to the man of God. It is to preach God's word to them. And what is God's word to these bones? First of all, he's supposed to address the bones. Now, can you think of anything that's uh, any more challenging than that? Here's a man out in a cemetery where all the bones are exposed, and God tells him to preach to a bunch of dead bones. Well, I haven't, over the years, from time to time, preached in a church, but might be described that way, but uh, I won't give any names or any addresses. Uh, but uh, here, is, here is God's command to the man of God, Ezekiel. I want you to prophesy, that is, to preach. I want you to preach to these bones. And here's what I want you to say to them. Say to these bones, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I would cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Here is Ezekiel, who is given this command to preach. And what is he to say to them? He is to say to them, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. In other words, I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to give you life even better than you had before. So preach to these bones and say to them, thus says the Lord. Every preacher or every person who shares the gospel or the, uh, the word of God, whether they're a lay person or an ordained pastor or whatever it may be, we are called upon to share the Word of God. You may not be a preacher, but if you're saved, you're called upon to share the Word of God with someone, uh, anyone, that you have an opportunity to do it. But those who preach the Word of God are to preach it in the power of the Spirit of God and are to preach what God says to preach. Paul, the apostle, uh, wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. He wrote about the foolishness of the message that was preached. And what was the foolishness of the message? That is, the preaching of the cross. A lot of people in that day said the cross is foolishness. A lot of people in our day say the same thing. They say, how can you possibly believe that the death of one Jewish man 2,000 years ago has anything to do with what we do and how we live in our day? They would, they would mock the Apostle Paul. They would, uh, they would they mock us for believing such nonsense is what they, is what they call it. But, they, but the preaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the cross, is the power of God. It is what changes lives when God takes His Word through the spoken message of a preacher or somebody else and, and anoints that message and drives it into the heart of a person, that, that person when they receive that word and they believe that word, they become born again by trusting Christ. It is the power of the living word of God, the power of the preached word, and every person who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be sharing that word. We who are preachers have the special privilege and the very solemn responsibility to preach the Word of God and to expect that God would work and honor His Word and know that when we preach in the power of the Spirit of God, when we preach the Word of God, the Word is sown into the hearts of the people. Here is Ezekiel. 
hearing God say, Ezekiel, prophesy, say to these bones, O bones, come to life. I'm going to bring you together. I'm going to put flesh on your bones. I'm going to put sinews uh, between your bones and all of that. And then I'm going to put breath in your body. Preach to these bones. Preach to those who are dead. The, The Word of God has the life of God in it. That Bible that you hold in your hand is alive. Hebrews chapter 4 says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus? What did he say? Lazarus, come forth. The people who are standing around him thought, well, what in the world is he doing? Why is he telling us to go to Lazarus' tomb and open the tomb? He's been there four days. He doesn't smell good anymore. So why is Jesus telling us to do that? Because Jesus knew that there is power in the spoken word of God. And though Lazarus was dead, can the dead hear? Absolutely, they can. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead, but he came back to life. And there's a wonderful illustration also in Romans chapter 4 where the Bible speaks about Abraham who received the promise of God that his wife Sarah was going to give him a son. And they laughed about it at first, but then they believed it. And the Bible says that though Sarah was 90 years old, Abraham was a hundred years old thereabouts, and his body was dead, that is, from the standpoint of being able to father a son, and Sarah's womb was dead, that is, she was past the age of childbearing, but the Bible says about Abraham that he did not waver in unbelief, but kept believing strongly that God was able to do what he promised him he would do. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. Isaac was born at the proper time when God told uh, Abraham and Sarah that he would be born. And here is the man of God who heard the word of God, who believed the word of God, and God brought it to pass. These bones are hearing the word of God. They are dead bones, but they are hearing the word of God. And any time when, a, when someone is, when we're here on a Sunday morning especially, or any other time when we're gathered to worship and preaching the Word of God, there are people gathered in that audience, most likely, who are spiritually dead. How do they hear the Word? If they're dead, how do they hear the Word? It is by the spoken power of the Word of God. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, when God was ready to create everything, what did He do? He just spoke. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the waters gather over here, and the dry land appear, and it was so. And God said, let the fish swim in the sea, and the birds fly in the sky, and it was so. The command to preach was heard and was obeyed by this man, Ezekiel the prophet. We've seen the condition of the people. We've seen the command to preach. But now, look with me thirdly at the coming of power. The coming of power. 
Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, (laughs) there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? Here is this preacher who is out there preaching in a big valley, and here are these dead bones. And all of a sudden, after hearing the Word of God, these bones start moving. They start coming together. Maybe, maybe one person's bones were spread out over a wide range, but that's no problem for God. He can bring them all together when they need to come together. And therefore, uh, Ezekiel, as he's preaching, he hears a rattling. He, he hears these bones start coming together, and they're smacking each other, and they're rattling. And uh, he's thinking to himself, ankle bone connected to the foot bone. Leg bone connected to the knee bone, all of that. And so all of these bones, they start coming together. And then God puts the sinews and the ligaments together so the bones will stay together. And then he puts the flesh on those bones so that they look like human beings. But even though they look like people, there is no life in them yet. There is no breath. In those bodies, they have been reconstituted. They've got bones. They've got sinews. They've got flesh, but they have no breath. And he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Here is the prophet again doing what God commanded him to do. He preached again, And he preaches to the wind. The word for breath and wind and spirit is all the same word in the Hebrew language. It depends on the context, what it means. He says here, call out to the wind, call out to the breath, the breath of God, like the breath of God that God breathed into Adam in the Garden of Eden. God had made Adam out of the dust of the ground, but he was just a body without life until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of God, and he became a living being. He became a soul. Here are these bodies of these men who have been, whose whose bones have, have come back together and who are standing there dead, but standing there and needing the breath of God to come into their lives so they can live. And so he says to Ezekiel, preach. Preach to the wind, preach to the breath of God, preach to the Spirit of God, and say to the wind, say to the breath of God, come into these men, let them live. So I prophesied from the four winds. I prophesied, he said, as he commanded, and breath, wind, the Spirit of God came into them, and they lived, 
and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. They'd been like Adam before that in the garden. He was lying flat before God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he stood up. These uh, people of this army, these men, the same thing happened to them. They lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. It doesn't matter how good a person may look on the outside. It doesn't matter how religious they may be able to act. If there is not the Spirit of God in them, they are not live. But when the Spirit of God comes in, there's life, there's breath, and what that person does, led by the Spirit of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, it's of eternal consequences and has eternal value. Apart from that, apart from that, it means nothing. They had flesh and bones, but they needed spirit and power. They needed what Zechariah wrote about, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That kind of power that comes from the Spirit of God. The kind of power that, oh, Elisha had even after he died. You remember that great story over in 2 Kings chapter 13? Elisha, the second prophet, uh, the prophet who succeeded Elijah, he died. They put him in a tomb. Another man died. Some folks were bringing this second man out to bury him. They just threw him in Elisha's tomb, and that dead man who had just died, when his body touched the bones of Elisha, he came back to life. He revived and stood up. There was more life in the death of Elisha than there was life in the life of many of those people who lived in that day. Here is the Spirit of God coming in to these people to give them power, to give them life, to make their lives count. And it still counts for you and me today. Let me illustrate it by reminding you about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 7. He says, he says uh, I'm just in a mess. He says, I don't want to do the things I do, and I do want to th- do the things I don't do. I just don't understand myself. I know what the law is. I, 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 you know, the law speaks to my heart. The law's good, and, and, and yet I can't keep the law, and I don't know what to do about it. I am, I am miserable. And then, when he gets to the end of chapter 7, he says, I thank God for life in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then when he goes on to chapter 8, He says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In chapter 7, he was describing a struggle he had while living in the flesh. In chapter 8, he he describes the victory he has by living in the Spirit. And that same struggle is a struggle that you and I have also. There's not a one of us in this room tonight who is totally mature and we don't have any more struggles. We still deal with the flesh. We still deal with thoughts and attitudes and actions that are not fully sanctified yet. We need to walk in the Spirit. And when we do, 
We won't fulfill the lust, the strong desire of the flesh, but that is how we ought to live. And that is what is necessary to live for the believer. Continue with me now. We've read verse 11 a moment ago. Let's look at verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, uh, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So here again is God telling the people of God through the prophet that he is going to put his spirit in them and he's going to bring them back to the land and he's going to be among them and be their people. They're going to need the spirit of God to live the life that God wants them to live. And you and I need that same purpose in our lives. We need his spirit. If we don't, if we aren't filled with the spirit, we can't really serve him like we ought to. And if we're not filled with the Spirit, what we do will come to nothing. It's, it's like building on that foundation, that good foundation, with wood, hay, and stubble. It just gets burned up. But if we build with gold and silver and precious stones, those get purified, but they remain. So we've talked about the valley of dry bones, the condition of the people, the command to preach, the coming of power, and finally, the covenant of peace. Look with me over at the end of the chapter now, at verses 26 and 27. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also will be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here is the covenant that God is referring to for the people of God. And he says that this covenant of peace is one that they will realize fully someday. They will realize it fully as a result of and as a direct consequence of the new covenant that Jesus made on Passover just before he was crucified a few hours after that. But I want you to look at one more passage. Hold your place right there because I want you to compare this verse that we read with a verse in Revelation chapter 20. Chapter 21, excuse me. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. And I want you to look with me and compare what we just read in Ezekiel. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you hear the echo 
from Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 27. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The, the book of Revelation has many references to Ezekiel in it. In fact, uh, before this is all over, I may bring a message about that and compare those. But um, this covenant of peace is one that you and I can enjoy now, that the Hebrew people will enjoy eventually when the time comes. But you and I can enjoy the blessings of God's covenant and of God's Spirit as we walk daily with Him. Three times in this passage that we read tonight, God said, Ezekiel, prophesy. Prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy to the people. Three times, Ezekiel obeyed the Word of God and three times the power of God was demonstrated through the preaching of the Word of God and the coming of the Spirit of God. If you're walking tonight or if you're sitting tonight in a valley of dry bones, don't give up hope. There's hope. The God who spoke through Ezekiel speak to your own heart and help you and encourage you and bring you through that valley.